Uh, my name is Ken, and uh, I am the discipleship pastor for Grace Church. Uh, I get the privilege of helping people take their next steps, and uh, that gives me the opportunity to actually be in different locations. Uh, and so I am excited to be here with you guys. I feel like I've been here uh, at this location a couple of times this year, and uh, I always look forward uh, to coming and seeing you guys and, and being able to present the word. So we are in our second week on a series. It's about doubts. And, and the reason we wanted to cover this is because that is the elephant in the room. Everyone has doubts. And um, they can be major doubts, like, does, is God real? Uh, does, he, does he love me? Uh, is the Bible true? Uh, all the way to, like, fashion doubts, like, does this shirt make me look fat? So uh, whenever I have a doubt, I have a, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I'll come out and go, and either she'll go, go change. She, she gives the thumbs up. She's here today. But uh, as much as we'll say, no, you go change, she'll go, like, no, no, Dad, no, no, go, go change. But we, ha- we have doubts. And the question is not will we have doubts, but what do we do with our doubts? Uh, I grew up in a religious organization that uh, did not welcome doubts. Uh, they saw questioning, uh, doubting as a sign of lack of faith, a lack of trust, um, even like questioning the authority uh, of, of the pastor or scripture. And, and none of my doubts or my questions were actually doing that. I was just trying to solidify, like, what do I believe? And, and so maybe that's been your experience, is that you've struggled with doubts and you've not had a safe place and not made to feel safe about that. Uh, one of the things that changed my mind about doubts is a book that I've been reading uh, about emotionally healthy spirituality and, and he makes this statement about people who are emotionally healthy. And I just w- I want to share it because I always felt like because I doubted that emotionally or spiritually, I must not be like a strong pillar of faith. But he says this about emotional people that have questions. He says, they're sure about their beliefs. They're just not dogmatic. They're not closed-minded to other people's opinions. I think that's healthy. He says they can hear and evaluate beliefs and they can discard ones that they don't think are true. I, th- I think that's good. They can listen without reacting and communicating and antagonizing other people. I think that's something we've lost in our culture. It's like, if you don't believe me, you're wrong, and I cancel you. Rather than like, let's have a discussion about this. Why do you believe that? What, what were the steps that got you to that conclusion? And the last thing he says is, um, they can respect others without wanting to change them. And that's an emotionally healthy person. They're able to do all those things. They're not threatened by questions. They're not threatened by someone else's doubts. They actually said, okay, let's talk about that. And that wasn't my experience growing up. Like you didn't question things. You didn't ask questions. You didn't didn't have doubts. Uh, Not all doubts come to destroy your faith. I don't believe that. I believe some come to actually strengthen your faith. Now, it depends on what you do with your doubt right? Um, if, if, what if doubts or questions weren't a sign that something in your faith had gone wrong, but rather it was a gift or an opportunity to grow in your faith? Now, I don't know that we always see doubt or difficulties as opportunities or as gifts, but James said that in James chapter 1. He talks about when you go through difficulties, it's going to produce in you patience and endurance. What if doubt was one of the greatest opportunities to grow your faith. What if we began seeing doubt that way rather than something that challenges us 
challenged as an authority or, or that you're a heretic. I think doubts and difficulties are opportunities to produce potential growth in you like, like nothing else. So if you're here today and you're a person that is skeptical, um, you don't really know what you believe, I want you to know that Grace Church, hopefully for you, will be a safe place a place where you can ask questions, that you can have doubts and then have dialogue about those doubts. Because I want you to know everyone has doubts. It is normal. You are normal if you have doubts. Even pastors have doubts. So last week we talked about three types of doubts that for me personally really helped. Because I didn't have a framework or categories for doubt. I only had one. And it was the first one, intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt is fact or fiction. And so everything that I doubted either had to be real or false, true or, or wrong, like my belief in God, because that was the only paradigm that I had. And there are doubts that are either fact or fiction, that's true, but there's also emotional doubts. And that's where we associate pain with what we believe. And we begin doubting what we believe, not because it's not true, it's because of how it made us feel. Like we've gone through difficulties, whether it's a divorce or abandonment or, or betrayal, and we're like, ah, this, this doesn't line up with how I, I, what I believe, and so you begin to question. Well, that's just an emotional doubt. It's not whether God's real or not. That's just how you feel about it. And then there's moral doubts, and that's when what you believe conflicts with what our culture is saying, and that's hard. You're not questioning whether God's real, but how do you live out your faith when the rest of the culture says that that's not, that's not right. And, and so there, there are these doubts. So Barna is a religious organization that polls people to give us some statistics behind things just so we can have some handles on things. And so they actually polled pastors and some other people to find out what, what are some things that cause you to doubt. And I want to give you just a couple of them that the pastor said. The first one was past experience from religious institutions. And that was me. The reason that I struggle with my faith is because the place that I went to church growing up, was I didn't feel like it was a safe place to ask questions. The people took it as a challenge to their authority or the word of God, and it wasn't that at all. Like kids ask why. Why? They're not being a jerk. They just they want to know why. And so um, that was my experience. Uh, the second one was the hypocrisy of religious people. That one sort of stings a little bit. Because as someone who's a follower of Jesus, when we don't live like followers of Jesus, it causes doubt in people's minds. And I can, I can see that. You say one thing, but you don't live that way. I can see how that can cause doubts. Human suffering. Like if God is a good God, then why is there such suffering and, and injustice in the world? And the last two were unanswered uh, questions and unanswered prayers. None of those are intellectual. They're either emotional or moral. And so it's okay to have like these questions that you have to wrestle with. I believe that is a healthy part of faith. A faith that's not been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And if you were argued or convinced into your faith, all it takes is someone smarter with a better argument to argue you out of faith. And I think that's where a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus are. Like they heard a good message, it was inspiring. Okay, I believe that. Someone comes along and totally pokes holes in the things that you believe. You're like, oh, I guess that's wrong. Doubts are okay, but what you do with your doubts. A doubt is like the crossroads. It will either lead you to stronger faith or it's going to shipwreck your faith. And I believe it has nothing to do with the doubt and everything to do with what you do with your doubt. 
So today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a story in the Bible where we see people at the crossroads and what they do with that. So let me set you up for season three. So let me, let me walk you through season one and two of this story. It's the children of Israel. And uh, God has promised them through Abraham that they would be a great nation and that one day they would possess a land that was theirs. But they find themselves in slavery. 400 years they're in slavery. You want to talk about generational patterns? All they've ever known was slavery. Not freedom, not to be able to think for themselves, do for themselves. Just you do what you're told. And so they're farmers and they're builders. That's all they are. And for 400 years, that's all they've ever been. God delivers them supernaturally with these plagues that they experience. Like that, that was some crazy stuff. To be around when God was letting all those things loose would have been pretty incredible to see. They get to the Red Sea. There's a sea in front of them that they can't get through. Pharaoh changes his mind and says, nope, I need you guys back because I don't want to make these bricks. And they're like, what do we do? And God supernaturally parts the waters and they pass through. And as Pharaoh's coming after them, he closes up the waters and, and they all die. Like over and over and over again, God is showing himself faithful and powerful and true. They get to Mount Sinai where God is going to give them some instructions because they have no social work. They have no social framework. So God's going to give them some guidelines to live by because they've only had what the Egyptians told them. So God gives them the commandments. While God is visiting with Moses on the mountain, the mountain's shaking, there's lightning, so much so they're like, okay, uh, we're scared. But they saw that. Now they're at the, they're at the front door of this promise that they've, they've heard about all their lives. You'd think they'd be really excited. You'd think they're like, let's do this. That's not necessarily what happened. So that gets us up to the story where Moses is going to pick some people to go in and spy it out. Numbers chapter 13. Now the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I'm giving Israel. Now in my notes and in my Bible, that's highlighted and circled. Who's promising this? It's God. Who's giving it to them? It's God. Like this is the promise that I've made to Father Abraham through Moses, and now you guys are right there. I'm giving it to you. Send one leader from each of the tribes and uh, send them out into the land. So Moses is going to give them some instructions, verse number 17. So Moses gave the men this instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north uh, to the Negev into the hill country and see what kind of land it is. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak. Are there a lot of them or a few of them? He says, uh, see what kind of land it is. Is it good? Is it bad? Do they have towns? Do they have walls? Uh, are they protected? Are they unprotected? Is their soil good? He's asking all these questions like, we're getting ready to move into this place. Like, I want to know what it's like. He says, then come back. And when you come back, bring some of the samples of the fruit because it was the harvest time. So these are the marching orders that these guys have. And they're going to go into this land for 40 days. They're going to scout it out. And I'm wondering, like, are they like Navy SEALs going in? They're all camoed up, got their face painted, you know, because there are people in the land. Or they just walk in going, what's up? What's up? Peace. You know, we're just checking things out. Going to be your neighbors. Actually, I'm going to live right there. Um, so you wonder how they approached it. But they go in for 40 days, and they're checking it out. I want you to know today's message, today's talk is not four tips on how to never doubt. If, if you, you find a book that says how to never doubt, don't buy it. 
It's a lie. So this is not how not to doubt. This is what to do when you doubt. And where do doubts come from? Because I, I think if we can identify where doubts come from and how we can work through them, we'll be healthier individuals. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So I want to give you the first way that doubt creeps into our life from this story. And it's this. When we believe only what, uh, I'm sorry, what we believe uh, is only shaped by what we see or feel. Doubt creeps in when what we believe is shaped by only what we see or what we feel. So the men go in, they're in there for 40 days, checking everything out, and this is the report, verse number 27. This is a report uh, to Moses. We entered the land and we explored it, just like you asked us, and it is indeed awesome. This is the land is flowing with milk and honey, and there are all kinds of fruits, and they bring back this cluster of fruit. We didn't read it, but this cluster was so big that two people had to carry it. It says, but, land's awesome, but the people there are powerful. Their towns are large and they're fortified. And we saw giants. They're the descendants of Achan. The, uh, the, the Malachites live there. The Hittites live there. The Jebusites live there. The Amorites live there. They're all there. And there's no way we can do it. Verse 30 says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Remember who promised it to us. Like, we can do this. But the men that explored with them disagreed. We cannot go up against them. They are stronger than we are. And I find it interesting that all 12 guys go in. They all see the exact same things. So the things are true. The cities are large. They have walls around them. They've been there long enough to they have armies and things that, that Israel doesn't have because they've been there for 40, uh, 400 years just being slaves. So all that's true. But Jacob, uh, Joshua and Caleb's response is completely different than the other 10 guys to the exact same situations. And I think that's also true in our lives, that people can go through the exact same situations and respond differently because of what they see and what they feel. There were giants in the land that was fortified. But let me ask you this. Could God have gone before them and said, I want you guys to wait here. I know this is a doorstep. Wait right here because I'm going to send all those 10 plagues that I sent in Egypt. I'm going to send them here so that they're going to scatter. and You're just going to walk in and move right in. It's like turnkey, man. It's all there. He could have done that. But what would have happened after they came back? If they were talked into faith, they can be talked out of faith. If things were just handed to them, when things get difficult, you're going to run. And I think for a lot of people, their faith is that way. It's something that's been handed to them, and it doesn't, test, it doesn't test well in difficulties. And so they run. What if the difficulties and the obstacles God was using to strengthen their faith? We don't think about that when we go through difficulties. My question is, why, God? Why this? Why now? Why me? Rather than asking the question, God, what are you doing in this situation? What do you want me to learn from this difficulty? How can I trust you when I don't have 100% confident faith? Help my unbelief. See, the 10 men don't ask that question. And Jacob's like, we can, we can, he promised. So there's some external circumstances that cause their doubt. There's some internal 
circumstances that caused the doubt. Look at verse number 32. So they spread this bad report about all the land among the Israelites. The land that they traveled through, they, they explored. He says, it will devour everyone who goes in there. All the people that we saw are huge. And even we saw giants, the descendants of Achan. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought. Some weird stuff going on. Like, you hear that, right? So I took, I took some medication because I have allergies. So I, just, I wasn't for sure that that was actually what was happening. Stressed me out a little bit. I was like, okay, I want, do you guys hear that? Because if you guys said no, I'd be like, whoa, that medication is really good. Okay, good. I'm glad you guys heard that too. But I want you to notice, like their response, we will be devoured. Now, is that a fact or is that an opinion? That's their opinion. But that's what happens to us. People speak as fact when in actuality, it's opinion. And we take it in and we accept it as fact. All you got to do is watch YouTube or any other social media. People speak opinions as fact. And I think that's what causes doubt at times because we believe it. And it's opinion. It's just an opinion. You have an opinion, I have an opinion. Your opinion is just as valid as my opinion. But it's an opinion. It's not truth. Then they say, all the people are large. Really? All of them? When you're trying to win an argument, you exaggerate. You never do this. Really, never? I always? And that's what they, they exaggerate. Like, all the people were large. Well, no, there were some giants, but they're not all that big. But they're trying to, they're trying to persuade people, so they exaggerate. And then they throw in the emotional card. We felt like grasshoppers. We're like bugs. Like, you want to go in there and get smushed? And that's what they thought of us too. What, did you ask them? Is that what you did? It's like, how, how do you compare it? No. So they're using all this internal stuff to persuade them not to go into God. But notice who they ignored. So they're listening to all this negative stuff. Who did they ignore? Joshua and Caleb. So the positive influence, they ignored. The negative, they ate, they ate it all up. Barna did a research with young millennials and said that most young millennials, when they're searching out things, they spend 20% of their time more in negative than they do in the positive. 20 to 1. Now, if your ratio is 20 to 1, which direction do you think you're going to go? Right? So if you're a CNN person and 20% of all your information comes from CNN, you're going to be a CNN person. If 20% of you are Fox people, then you see what I'm saying? And that's what happens. We, we digest a whole bunch of content, and it's not balanced at all. And then we wonder why we struggle with faith. Well, it's what you're feeding yourself. And this is what happens. So they ignore that, yes, we can do it. God said so. And they listen to, no, we can't. What if God was using these difficulties to strengthen their faith? And maybe that's you. Maybe bad circumstances have happened in your life, and that made you question whether God loved you. Didn't, you're not questioning whether God's real. It wasn't an intellectual. It was more of an emotional. Because why would a good God allow injustice in my world? Why would he allow bad things to happen to me? I mean, I'm serving him. I say I love him. I read his word. I go to his church. I'm doing all these things. Why would bad things happen? And sometimes it's because we allow the external circumstances to influence our doubts. 
And so this guy's response was to run. Like, we're farmers. We're builders. We're not warriors. Like, we don't know how to chop and all that kind of stuff. We don't, we don't know how to fight. So we, we can't go forward. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've had questions, legitimate questions, that people have not listened to you. And so you struggle with your doubt. I think it's normal to doubt in what we see. God has given us senses. He's given us eyes and ears. And we have our senses. But I think what we forget sometimes is that God does work in what we can't see. Like, what is God doing behind the scenes? Like, they never got to experience that. They never got to experience that. And I think for some of us, the reason we don't trust God today is because we didn't trust God yesterday, and we don't have the stories of the Red Seas in our life. We don't have Mount Sinai stories where we've seen God work through miracles because we didn't, we didn't go through them, we ran from them. And if you don't have God's stories, it's most likely because you don't face your doubts, you run from them. And that's what these guys did. So my encouragement to you is don't panic. If you're going through a difficult time, don't panic. God is still on the throne, and he's not challenged or threatened by your doubts or your questions. He's not. There's a book that I've read. It's called The Hidden Wholeness. It's by Parker Palmer, and he shares this illustration of these Midwest farmers that during blizzards, during the winter, they would tie a rope from their house to the barn so that they can actually get to the barn and get back home during the blizzard because in those blizzards, they get turned around if they didn't have the rope, and they actually found farmers dead right at the doorstep of their house, not knowing that they were only feet away from, from safety. I found a video, and it's just a 15-second clip that illustrates what that would look like in a blizzard. So there are times in that blizzard, I think that was taken in Worcester. No, I'm just there are times in that blizzard, it's like it, the entire clip's like a minute long, that you don't even see the guy in front. And that's a great illustration of what doubt looks like in our lives, that we, we can't even see like a foot in front of us. So we don't even know what God's going to do next. And without that rope, without that safety, we're shipwrecked. And we're lost, and we're wandering around, wondering what God's doing, and even doubting God because we're lost in the storm. When he has provided a safety rope for us to get back and forth through our doubt, don't let uh, don't be stuck in the blizzards of your doubt. Let me, let me share a second way in this story that uh, doubt creeps in. It's when we trust people's opinions more than the promises of God. And this is what happens to the nation of Israel. Like these two, the, these 10 guys come back and they emphatically say, this is what's going to happen. And they, it's really, they, they don't even couch it as, as opinion. They're like, this is fact. And the nation of Israel believed. When I first started playing golf, I've been playing golf for a little while now. When I first started playing golf, the people that I played golf with would always give me advice. I don't know if you've ever played golf. I think it's one of the toughest sports to play. Uh, and so they'd give me advice. And so I, I would slice the ball. They're like, do this, do this, do this. My slice would turn into a hook. And so finally, I go to a professional. And he's like, who have you been listening to? Like, and I was like, you know what? 
honestly, I mean, I almost beat them last week, so I don't know why I'm listening to them when, you know, when they're trying to help me. And, and that's so true with our faith. So many times we're listening to people that are so messed up themselves that they're leading us astray. And that's what the 10 spies, the ten spies were doing. Uh, look, look at the doubt that they give. Uh, I'm sorry, we, we read that, right? Uh, so they spread the bad uh, among the Israelites. Uh, verse number two says, Their voices rose a great course of protest against Moses and Aaron. If he'd only died in Egypt. So they actually wanted to go back and say it was, it was better in Egypt. Really? The good old days, were, that was good? You, you enjoyed that? But you see what doubt does? Doubt will actually glamorize like the bad stuff in our life. It's like you don't even remember what it was like being back there. And so that's what they did. People passed off opinions as truth. And that happens all the time. And we believe it. Because they're a doctor or they're this. Or the, and they're like, they're the professionals. Really? All doctors say that? All professionals believe that? No, it's not true. So my encouragement to you is don't believe everything that you hear. And I, I know we say that, but you, you need to hear that. You can't believe everything that you hear. The Bible talks about testing the Spirit. I don't think you should believe everything a pastor says. Because there are some pastors out there that I've heard. I'm like, whoa, dude, I don't, I don't know if the Bible's actually saying that. Now, if that's your opinion, that's cool. But if you're saying that's what God said, I don't know. I, I, the Bible says to test every spirit. You need to investigate, pour energy into investigating, is this true? I think sometimes we shortcut it and we allow what other people say and believe to shape and influence what we believe without ever doing any type of investigation. I think the other side of that is some people, they sit in their doubt and they just stay there. I said, what are you doing about that? Like you're struggling with your parenting. Who have you talked to? I don't know. Have you, have you read any books? Have you talked to anybody who's gone through the same things that you've gone through? Or are you just hoping it works out for this kid? Maybe it'll be better for the next kid. That's why I have two kids, right? It's like, didn't work on the first one, we'll hope on the second one. No, that's not how you're supposed to live your life. Like, work through your doubt. It's not okay to be stuck in your doubt. Maybe for a season. But God wants us to figure it out. And when we just blindly follow someone, Jesus says it's like the blind leading the blind. In Luke chapter 6, he says, then Jesus said to the following illustration, can a blind person lead another one? Sure they can. But where are they going to end up? In the ditch. And I think when we have the ratio of 20 to 1, and the people that we're following are blind spiritually, they're leading us to a path of blindness. And we don't even know because our, our ratios are so, so off. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, visit many good books. So he's not saying don't listen to other people. Listen to a lot of good books, but live in the Bible. Not all information and sources are equal. They're not. And when you create a scenario where professor so-and-so and God are equal, man, you're... That's blind leading the blind. And so we need to make sure that we have that. And so my question is, what is your algorithm? What is your ratio? Like, have you even stopped to, to recognize, like, you know what? Everything that I'm reading, everything that I'm talking about, all the things that I'm watching, they really lead to this direction. 
I've not opened the Bible. I've not talked with my pastor. I've not talked with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I really have nobody on this side trying to balance out this, this debate that I'm in with in my mind. If you're worried about the price of facing your doubts, what you should really be concerned about is the cost of running from your doubts. You say, man, it's hard to face your doubts. Yes, it's worse to run from them. And that's what happens with the children of Israel. Because these guys that, that, that spread the doubt and the nation listened, none of those people got to go into the promised land. Their doubt created such a disconnect that they never experienced the promise that God gave to them. And I don't want that for you. Like God has made promises to you. And it's not about whether he's real or not. It's about his promise to love you and, and to provide for you and to go before you. But if you never walk through difficulties, you always run, you'll never see the other side of that. And that's what doubts can do for you. Dallas Willard, who's a Christian uh, professor and also a theologian uh, and philosopher, said this. The first and most basic thing that we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the true fundamental secret to caring for your soul. Our part in practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. So that our minds will return to God as the needle points to north. And so many times we are going in such different directions that we never come back to God and know true north, know what is true. God's word and his people are that rope that gets you safely through your doubts. But if you're not hanging on to the rope, then you can wander in the blizzard of doubt. And it may not go well for you. This doesn't mean that you don't ask questions. I'm not saying just, just come to church, read your Bible, and don't talk to anybody else. That's not what we're saying, okay? We're saying ask questions, seek answers, you know, do, do some research. But to do nothing, give Satan a foothold in allowing your doubt to be stuck in the corner and fester. And that's what he wants, and that's not what God wants for you. So bring light into your doubt. So what are some things that you can do? One practical thing is to take a time assessment. Like what is your ratio? Like how much time are you spending investigating the things that point away from God just because you're, you're trying to listen to other voices and how much are actually healthy and productive? And if it's not at least equal, you know which direction you're going to go. Don't stay in the blizzard of your doubt. Invite people into your doubt. I didn't have that option growing, growing up because I didn't feel like the place that I was at was safe to do that. I want you to know at Grace Church, there's a place for you at this table. And that's why we offer things like Alpha and Life Groups because we want you to come with your questions. God's not intimidated and we're not intimidated. And we'll tell you, we don't have all the answers. That's the most loving thing that I can tell you when you ask me a question that I don't know. But that doesn't make me doubt God. It just makes me want to investigate so that I can know. So I don't doubt just because I don't know something. Or I don't believe it's not true because I don't, I don't know something. I investigate. And when difficult things happen, it's not because God's not real. I have to ask, what is God doing in this difficulty? What does he want me to learn in this difficulty? So invite people into 
your doubts. Explore safe places and spaces with your doubts. Again, that's why I love that we're offering these next steps for you that allows you to explore your doubts and safe places. And maybe for you, the doubt that you have is not whether God's real, but whether God loves you. Because you know the doubts that you have about faith, and you know what you've done in your life. And the doubt is not whether God is real, but can God love me the way that I am? I want to share one last verse. It's a very famous verse. You've probably seen it on poster boards at, at Fenway. It's John three sixteen. That God so loved you that he sent his son. That if you will believe in him, that you don't have to be separated from him and perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said that. It's in red letters. The question is, will you believe him? Will you believe that Jesus says, I love you enough that I'll lay down my life so that we can have a, a relationship. I'll take your doubts and all. You can ask your questions. I just want a relationship with you. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me. Because what I want you to do right now is I want you to take your doubts to God. Where are you doubting? And it could be something in faith. It could be a decision that you're making that has to do with your career, a relationship, a parenting style, bring that to God. He's not threatened by your doubts. And the second thing I want you to do is ask God, is there somebody who is emotionally and spiritually healthy that will walk with me through this? And ask God to bring that name or that face to your mind. And if he does, commit to talking to that person. And here's the cool thing. You might be that person for someone else. So maybe your prayer is, God, can I be the type of person that will walk with somebody else through their doubts? Give me wisdom to help them. Guide and direct me so that I'm not the blind leading the blind. Or maybe the last practical step is that you need to find yourself a safe space to be able to express and talk about your doubts. So that your doubts lead to a stronger faith, not a faith that is wrecked. God, I'm grateful for the stories in the Bible. I'm grateful that you put them in there so that we, God, we identify with that. There are times where I identify with the 10 spies. I look at the mess in my world. Some of the mess I created myself through poor choices. But there's other mess that I step in that has nothing to do with the decision I made. It just has everything to do with living in a broken world. A world that, God, you didn't design that way, but we chose, we chose to mess it up. And God, our mess and our doubt doesn't change your goodness. It doesn't change your sovereignty and your power. It doesn't change your character. So God, as we go through doubt and difficulties, God, let us not run. Let us not hide. 
from those things. But instead, see them as opportunities for you to show your glory and your goodness and your purpose in our lives. God, help us to surround ourselves with people who are emotionally and spiritually healthy. That are willing to have conversations and not tell us what to believe. But God, bring us to a place where we understand what we believe. And God, allow us to be emotionally and spiritually healthy to where we can walk alongside people who doubt. People who don't believe the same about sexuality or your, or your reality, God. And God, be able to walk alongside them. Even if they never come to the, to the conclusion that we've come to, God, I pray that they would feel loved by us. They don't have to agree with us, God, to, for us to love them. Because you love us even when we don't agree with you. While we were still your enemies, the Bible says you still loved us. So help us to be that type of love to people who don't have faith or don't believe like us. God, help us not to sit in our doubt, but to work through it so that our faith can be strengthened. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.